Welcome to the Transform Sales Podcast, where forward-thinking business leaders come to share their experiences and ideas, learn from each other, and amplify their results together. Hey guys, Amir Ryder here on the uh, Sales Transformation Podcast. I'm with my guest, John Barrows. John, pleasure having you on today, man. How are you doing? Good, brother. How are you doing, man? Doing good. I, I feel like I'm working hard transforming sales just like you, and then I think we've been in discussion for about two years. I think it was almost two years now that I was on your podcast. Thanks for having me on. Um, a lot of people say that you can't measure an ROI of a podcast, but I was able to actually track on one of our most fundamentally changing clients um, from being on your podcast. So it was a, it's a small world. And <laughs> I love, I love, uh, I love what we're doing. So you've probably been asked this question like multiple times because we do on a lot of podcasts, but I'll ask it anyways. Is there something that you have not shared with any other person on the podcast that's an interesting fact about yourself um, besides the fact that you're a king slayer of selling copier machines? Um, that you would share with, with the world today? Uh, let's see. Something that I haven't shared. Um, that's a hard one, right? Yeah, that's a hard one. I've been interviewed a decent amount at this point and been asked some random ass shit. But, uh, you know, I think not a ton of people know uh, that <clears throat> I worked for Jack Welsh for a couple of months. So GE Jack Welsh, uh, Jack and Susie Welsh while they were getting their online MBA program off the ground, which was pretty cool. I was a, definitely a life learning uh, experience there on that one. Um. And uh, yeah, and that I, I think most people know, but uh, you know, I've been fi- I got fired uh, from Staples after selling my first company to them because I just didn't f- fit in the corporate world, which is another reason I work for myself. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, and how I deal with stress, people ask. You know, I smoke a lot of weed, so those three things are probably decent, uh, <laughs> decent. In fact, uh, you know, things to get to know me a little bit better. Tambien, as they say in Spanish. Yeah, uh, I'll call it out too. I love all those things. I'm like, I, 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 I know about this stuff. I follow you, you, you deeply. The, the Staples thing, to me, I think it's almost a common play. I see that often, right? Where founders sell their company, they're held on for a year, and then, and then they, they leave. I don't even know what they'd say because you can corporate. I think there's no plan to begin with, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm... I've determined and my team and I talk about this a lot, like, you know, we're pretty much unemployable at this point because, uh, you know, once you really catch that, that bug of entrepreneurship and going off on your own, uh, you know, for me, I, I, I knew that corporate wasn't right um, early in my career. So like I had Xerox and Black and Decker and a few other things. And then I got into startups and and I felt better. But then when we got acquired by Staples, I kind of assumed that that was another kind of like, okay, cool. Like this is going to be an integration. I'm going to figure this out. I'm really interested. But I, I smashed into the corporate, you know, bureaucracy and, you know, and all that to the politics and everything else. And I just, I like, it was like this visceral reaction. And even though I didn't, I didn't quit, even though I should have, I absolutely should have, uh, they fired me and it was probably the best thing that probably happened in my career. You know, the world is now open to me to do what I, what I want to do, forget about what I'm supposed to do. And I think too many people right now are stuck in the doing what they're supposed to do. Right. I mean, I can talk about that forever. Yeah. You know what you're supposed to do. Yeah. I'm not going to get off topic. I would say that we're very similar. Um, and that's kind of why we get along. I, I, you know, I, I also work in the corporate world um, and, and I I did sell a company, but I didn't work for that company, but then I worked for a company called NetSuite, which was where I was mm-hmm. first in software sales. And it was really, you know, they want you to run the playbook, even if it's inefficient. Yep. And I literally probably could have worked five hours a week and they would have been happier with that, paying me 180K than it was 40 hours a week of me actually trying to improve systems, right? And, and trying to get feedback. So it's it's not 
you know, I feel like a corporate job is designed for somebody who almost wants to do the, the, the you know, the ABC every day, that, that one motion every day. Um, yeah. And if you're not prepared to do that one motion, yeah, entrepreneurial should probably be better best for you because you can be doing everything. Well, yeah. And I mean, I think it, it also, it's all skill sets too. I mean, we all get, you all, <clears throat> at a certain point in your career, you start to really figure out what you're good at and what you're not. And for, for me, I mean, look, it takes a very special skill set to learn how to play the politics of, co- of corporate world, right? And that is a, it, to me, it's an admirable skill set. Like for people who have figured out how to, like, how to do what they want to do within the corporate structure and still maintain credibility, still maintain authenticity and play that game, right? Because in corporate, you have to, if you're, you know, rise up in your middle management or, you know, executive, you have to obviously manage the people below you, but you also have to manage the people above you, right? So you have to play that. And very few people in the corporate world are able to, you know, do both well. Usually you're either a, a leader that is protecting your group from the shit that's from above, right? Mm-hmm. And you take the shit and that, therefore people above you probably don't like you too much. So you're probably not going to get promoted, a, a, you know, up to a certain level. And the, or the vice versa, you kiss ass to everybody who's above you, and therefore the people below you think you're a chump, right? So it takes a special skill set to learn how to play both sides of that equation. And I just don't have that skill set. Like, I, I, I don't have a filter. I, I, I'm, you know, I, I really don't like politics at its core. Yeah. I mean, there was a, I was part of a, you know, a local town, uh, town hall meeting where we're trying to, you know, fight this development that's going up around our, you know, around our house or whatever it is. And I'm sitting there listening to this and like everything about this thing with like, it was all policy and procedure. And, you know, you have the floor for five minutes and you can't interrupt that person. And the whole time I'm like cringing because every fiber of my being was to just interrupt him and be like, whatever you're talking about is total horseshit right now. Like, this is literally a waste of time, what you're discussing. And let me talk, you know, da, 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 da. But you, you know, like that, that's why I'm not in politics. That's why I'm not in corporate America. That's why I start my own business. But other people have different skills that fit perfectly into that. And there's nothing against that. It's just, you got to eventually figure out where you fit. I agree with you. And, I, and, and I'm curious to see if those skill sets change as, as work changes with remote and with everything we have going on. If you don't mind me asking, like, who, I, I can name someone on my side. Who do you know plays the game the best? You got somebody who call out that plays yeah. that game? There's a guy, Jim Hoppy. I'll tell you right now, the guy, there's a, there's, there's Jim Hoppy and Jim Lippy, actually two Jim's uh, Jim Lippy is the guy who uh, came on board when I, when we started thrive, we grew it to a certain point. And then we brought in a director, but I, I hired a director of business development, uh, Jim Lippy. And, uh, and then we, then he took over as CEO. So we kind of pushed out our original CEO, Jim took over as CEO. And then he's the one who kind of brokered the, the relationship with Staples. Jim, like I've, I've rarely come across somebody who can who can play that game as well as he was able to play it, right? What he did, he protected me for a while from the big red machine because like he knew that if he really unleashed me and really had me talk to the executives that I would burn the house down, but he was able to play both sides and ultimately he was the one who fired me, but it wasn't him, he was the, he was the messenger, but he's done an incredible job uh, being able to be the middleman of putting all the pieces together, not necessarily doing a ton or being the expert at anything in particular but being able to really know where the pieces fit and how to bring the the smart kids together type of thing it's interesting because because it's an interesting to to wonder if 
as things change and become more customer centric, there's also the politics within corporate change as well. And I think the answer is yes, but probably takes time. You know, they, it, it's, yeah. you know, what's problem is with, the, with the politics It's the people, what I've learned, I think maybe you can do this, is the people who hold the power sometimes lost the skill set and they protect their skill, they protect the fact that they lost their skill set, almost like a dictator stays in power forever by making it political. Change is scary. Well, change is, and I think, but that's the cool thing about, I think what happens with COVID, right? I mean, silver lining is all over the place, in my opinion, uh, with COVID, which, you know, it forced a lot of companies to, to re-examine what was, what they thought was their model, right? And, and it was a forcing function for them to say, holy shit. And now you have like, let's just use my little tiny world in training, right? I mean, I used to, I had remote training. I, I delivered remote training all the time, not all the time, but, and, and I thought it was actually a better, because, you know, when we did on site, it was one day on site, I'd come in, I'd do my whole thing and whatever. But then, you know, one data dump day, right, is, you know, two months later, three months later, see you later. So we would do remote and it was two, you know, three, two hour sessions spaced out over the course of a couple of weeks with reinforcement and stuff like that. I thought it was actually a better form of delivery, but everybody was used to on site. So if I had a, if I was going head to head with another training organization and they were proposing an on site session, super high engagement, and I was promoting remote, they would always go with the on site mm -hmm. as long as the pricing was similar, right? And so, so okay, so that's that's what I did. I did on site. COVID comes, rips it all apart. Now remote, now. I, again, I think it's a better form of delivering training. And I, and I, I hope we never go back to on-site when it comes to this type of stuff. Cause I just don't, I just think this is a better environment. And there's, I mean, think about all the companies who used to say, oh, you can't sell million dollar deals unless you're everybody. in front of the client, right? Exactly. Like everybody, the, the assumption was that everybody, like you all, you had to be in front of the client. You had to schmooze them. You had to take them out to dinner. If you want to sell that multi-million dollar deal and literally Overnight, companies figured out how to sell multi-million dollar deals remotely. Like overnight, there wasn't an option. So it's not like everybody said, oh shit, I can't do this. They said, oh shit, I got to figure out how to do this now. And they adapted. And those companies that are adapting and are agile enough to re-examine and always be testing new approaches and trying to figure out what's in the market and admitting that they don't, and leaders who admit they don't know everything, but they'll figure it out. Those are the ones that are going to win. Any company right now that's sitting back and hoping it goes back to normal, is already lost, in my opinion. I agree. I agree with you. I'm like, I, no reason for it to go back. I think it should be a hybrid model. I, I'm sitting in a big office here. Great. Like, I'm not going to get rid of this office. I get rid of one floor. Uh, as we triple double, I'm going to keep the same size. If people want to come here, great. Some people come yeah. one day a week. Some people come once a month. Some people come never, right? Um, and some people are here every day. And it, it, it's the right, it, it creates the right environment for the right people. I fully believe it. I, I think I, same thing. I was thinking 10 years ago that virtual realities, I, I mean, I, I was way off as far as the timing is concerned, but there's no question it's coming. You know, you ever seen the movie um, Ready Player One? No, it sounds like I like it. Oh, yeah, right. you'll like it. So it's it's the whole concept, and this is unfortunately this is where I believe a lot of the world is going to, and it, it basically it's we've ruined the the planet, right? We, you know, there's shit everywhere, and uh, it's like Biff in in um, you know uh, Back to the Future Three, right? He's yeah. sitting up in that huge ivory tower, and everybody else is slumming it, right? Um, so rich get richer, poor get poorer, and these these pretty much everybody middle class is gone and whatever. And Ready Player One is they they all basically go home to their shitty little house or their trailer, and they put on this virtual reality and they're whoever they want to be and that's really their world and the way i know I it oh yeah, yeah. So i saw this this was right? uh with with uh gerard Bolt. uh nope not nope. no Listen, no 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 it's a different one yeah you don't have to talk about too right 
I think so. I don't because, know. Like, I love an army guy where like people are controlling him. I don't know. Oh, yeah. This I is Steven about... Spielberg movie you're talking about, 2018. Ready player yeah, one. I think so. Yeah. And, and it's one of those things where if you think about it, like, let's put it this way for let's, let's kind of macro it out versus training for a second. You got this kid who's like a 13 year old kid, right? Who's like maybe a little bit overweight and a little pimply face or whatever it is, goes into school and gets picked on every fucking day, like gets wailed on. Right. And that kid then comes home and puts on his Oculus goggles and lit and all of a sudden is this big stud football player has, you know, girls and cars and money and bling and all this other stuff. And he's a baller in the social, in in that virtual world. What the world would you rather live in if you were that virtual world all day long? long. So it's, it's just a matter of time. And I think also, I think, I think this COVID thing has accelerated that as well. Because all these kids went from face-to-face learning, sitting in a classroom to now everything's remote, everything's virtual. They're all playing games virtually. They're all doing everything else. So we're, we're moving in that direction, no question about it. I hope that the training world catches up before the world goes virtual. I, I think there's going to be that, that evolution of it where we kind of dip our toe into it a little bit. We're already there. But then training, to your point, we ship Oculus goggles and I'm standing in front of a class just like, you know, um, if I want to go to Hawaii and we want to do a training in Hawaii, all right, everybody, let's go to Hawaii, right? It's, let's flip it, this it, It's so ideal because it is so time consuming and costly to build a training department in, in, in house. Oh. And it, it just, it's so funny because, you know, there's just a few points to talk. So like, A, I think that's going to happen. I'm all about it. I'm supporting it. You know, I, I created sales transformation.com, which going up to promote this kind of stuff because I think that's the future that we, we live in. Um, mm-hmm. And it's also just logical and it's more efficient. Um, but like, yeah, for me, even I look at our business models and I, and, and some people it's like, it's interesting how some companies get called outsourcing. Some are called agencies, some are called trainers, some are called your lawyer, some are called your accountant. Right. right? And I look at the term and I'm like, this is weird because you immediately think outsourcing means you're sending jobs to India when most of the call centers are in America already. To yep. begin with, right. So yep. it's actually American jobs. And then it's this concept of like, I talk to SaaS leaders and they're like, we don't outsource. And I'm like, your, your whole business model is SaaS, software as yeah. a service, meaning you don't need to build it inside because we have it, pay us a monthly service. So you, you don't buy what you sell. Right. And then it's like, if you literally go to Costco to buy your vegetables and instead of planting them in your backyard, you're outsourcing, right? Yep. I know about your business model from a high level. I, I, I know what the onsite training is. I know what the recurring training is. Um, I know the, 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 um, I know that you recently built uh, the YouTube for, for sales pressure, which I love, which is amazing because anybody who's not investing into their own education is just going to lose. It's just the bottom line. Um, you know, I guess I would, I, I, I would ask um, technologies like Gong and Chorus and other recording devices, have they improved your ability to deliver coaching and measure the results? Um, not for me, but for my clients. So, you know, our model is, you know, there's, there's a difference, like you said, about outsourcing and, and the different ways that people agencies, those type of things. There's also a difference between, um, you know, training and consulting. 
uh, and coaching, right? So I definitely lean more on the training side of the house where I'm kind of like the grandparents, right? I come in, I play with the kids and I bounce. Yep. And then I think the, the, where the rubber hit the road and where most organizations fail miserably is that frontline manager reinforcement, right? Because that's those are the parents. Those are the people that should be working and coaching and doing all the right work. And I work with them to teach them how to coach their employees. But I, I'm not, since I'm not the manager holding them accountable looking at their results most reps will take coaching but whether they apply it or not from us that's I, I have no control over that whereas a manager should be putting those metrics in place right so i've very purposely gone the training route not the consulting route well, you're, you're also specializing in what you do best yep. and that's that's for me that gives me comfort right because yep. i think it's, it's it's especially in our industry you can't be the best if you're doing several motions. Nope. Right. So you said it very nonchalantly, but you know, I, 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 I played the kids. I dropped them off, but no, you, you specialize in, mm -hmm. in the area that you do best. Right. Um, which is good. That makes sense to me. I brought up course and gong because I think if it's done right, they can be tools that help us transform sales. Right. Uh, There's a gap. Yeah. Absolutely. There's a gap. That's fine. I hope that gap closes. Right. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of these organizations, I also think, failed to invest into it's, it's interesting because like a lot of these companies that we work with, we talk to they're, they're a lot of them are funded with VC money. Right. Mm -hmm. And the, you know, I don't know all the deals, but a lot of it is based on growth, right? Growth rate. Sure. However, they'll always ask you your customer lifetime value. Right. And, and, and mm -hmm. that's a big thing, but they're not really, they're, they're, they're almost going to market with this old school, you know, um, predictable revenue model. They know that customer retention matters. They know it's changed, but they're not giving the authority for companies to create these channels that grow with partners. And it's really a shame because if you look at like NetSuite, which mm -hmm. was bought by eight, $8 billion from Oracle, even though, you know, Larry Ellison already owned 49%. <laughs> it was easy for them to be like, Hey, we're a financial engine. Therefore accountants are our, our partners, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but I think in our space, when it comes to sales transformation, we haven't united in a way where it's like you go to us because we are the glue between these processes. And it's, right. it's almost sold as like, if you can't do it yourself, there's always option B, right? Yeah. And yeah. I think there's, I mean, there's a lot of fast that why in the world, if you just created, if you just created, let's say a calendar tool, why would you be good at coaching? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the, that that's the, I think that I see that as a, as a huge challenge with, because I'm a big, uh, you know, believer in specialization and get really good at that thing. But the problem is, is a lot of these platforms, right, is they, they, they it ends up being a point solution that then gets acquired by a platform, right? I think a sales force, I think a sales loft, right? You can get to a point where you are very successful as a business doing one very specific thing but then you're either going to get acquired or you're going to get eaten up by somebody else. Because for instance, you know, people are so sick of the, I got my tech stack, you know, I got 700, you know, things in my tech stack. They all kind of do something overlapping, but I need this one because like, you know, perfect example, like gong and sales loft, right? Like sales loft, I mean, Gong has done, done a great job, but Salesloft has something similar, right? And Salesforce does something similar to Salesloft is they'll, create something on their platform that is like 70 to 80% as good as the point solution, mm -hmm. right? 
And people are now shifting towards, okay, yeah, I love that point solution, gong, whatever it is, because it's so good, but it doesn't, I don't want yet another platform. So I'd, I'll, I'll take a, a less quality thing as long as it plugs in and it's seamless to, you know, my experience, if you will, right? And so I think there's the, there's, it depends on really what you're trying to accomplish as a business. To add to that, I look at Facebook groups very often, pretty active on social. And like, I would say that like people complaining about uh, the raising price of, um, it's not Drift, it's the other chat, Intercom, right? Intercom, yep. It's like so often I see like, yo, Intercom just doubled my price. Like what's another solution, you know? And, and, and that comes back in my opinion to the VC money. Mm-hmm. Right, because now all of a sudden your your value to cost ratio gets weighed off because you got to pay back investors a ten x investment. Oh, yep. And, and then they come that's back. I never want. That's why I never want VC money. I I personally never wanted VC money because I don't want a boss, and I don't want somebody telling me how to grow my company. Now I'm also 45 years old. I've kind of sold a company. You know, I'm not financially free at this point by any stretch of the imagination. But I'm at a different stage in my life than some other people, or I have different priorities, right? So if you want to go big or go home and and get that big pop and and go for it, then yeah. But then you have to expect expect that you're going to be told what to do. And I think the challenge with that is, is that so many VC backed companies that I see are doing things again, going back to just doing what they're supposed to do, because that's what everybody else does. So for instance, you know, these, these, um, you know, events, these remote events, these conferences and this stuff, like, I'm, I don't want to call anybody out, but we're working with some partners that have put, I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars into this three-day event with special guests and, you know, and, and paying top dollar for talent and all this other stuff. And they get a thousand people to register for it, 400 people to show up to, an, you know, to a, to a one-hour talk by like baller said X, right? And like my team, like we drop a webinar, like we come up with an idea for a webinar uh, for next week and we put a little bit of social and have some fun with it and, you know, are pretty authentic with what we're trying to accomplish. And we get 2000 people to sign up and a thousand people to show up. And we spent, you know, grand total, maybe a couple hundred bucks to put it on. So it's like, you have this, again, going and doing what I'm supposed to do, predictable revenue. I'm supposed to have SDRs, BDRs, AEs. And so, fuck that noise. I think the predictable revenue model is, it has to explode because it's not customer centric at all. Nobody wants to be handed off five times before they actually have a conversation with somebody who knows what the fuck they're talking about. And it's great for organizations to scale, but it's miserable from a client experience. Let's be real. People were buying Salesforce. Yeah. Such volume. They freaking needed SDRs. Yeah. You did create a new way to sell it. It was that product was, it changed everything. You know, there were people mm-hmm. were going for onsite CRMs and it was like a no brainer. And the, the signups are coming in and, yep. and now everyone else plans. Well, sorry, everyone else's business is not as irreplaceable as Salesforce, right? No, the customer experience is everything. And uh, I think it was corporate executive board that put out this stat that 53% of purchasing decisions is impacted by the selling experience. Like, so in, in the other, and check this out, company slash brand impact is 19%. Product service delivery is 19%. And value slash price ratio is 9%. But 53% of the, of the, of the purchasing decision is impacted by the sales, the, the selling experience. So I'm a huge believer that, you know, and it's probably not in the short term here, but midterm, long-term that we are going to move towards sales reps, going back to full cycle sales and actually having more of a customer success spin to them than a sales spin to them. And also SDRs are going to roll up under marketing and operations and be part of ABM. Oh, and yeah. all the, 
right? And, and so that role, the SDR role is no longer going to be a feeder system for sales. Yes, some will obviously come out of it that have that sales DNA in them, but we're going back to full cycle sales surrounded by ABM and, and, and driven inbound to high level customer service. Because if you think about it this way, like that's what always, always blows my mind. All these companies that spend millions of dollars on their ABM and their, you know, target marketing and all this other stuff to drive super high quality inbound leads. You're telling me that the first person that you want that person to talk to is a 22-year-old SDR wet behind the ears who's going to ask them bant questions? Like if, you, if you're even close to the corporate executive board on the you know, challenger sale, by the time somebody comes to us, they're already 60 to 70% of the way through the sales process, whatever that number is, I don't really care. But it, it's, it's an arguable that, that people are more educated by the time they come to us. They didn't just click on our website and say, gee, what's this? I hope I get a call today. Mm-hmm. They were like, nope, they looked at it, they educated, and they said, I, I want to learn more information. So you're somebody who's already 50, 60, 70% of the way through the sales process, and you got a sales rep following a sales process that forces them all the way back to step one, qualifies them, then flips them to an AE who drones through basically more qualification, then brings in an SE who's going to qualify them again and to give them some canned piece of shit demo. When they kind of, they, they would have just, you could have cut out all those pieces and done a really nice, like, you know, how to document on how to fucking, you know, all videos. The time you should have eaten SDR. And, and obviously they're going to be different, but it, it, it's, it's almost a capacity and volume thing. And instead of qualifying people, it's much different if it's like, you know, what industry are you in? And I'm trying to match an AE that has the same, that has worked with people in your space and knows it well, it's much different than like, are you the right person? You know, I, I think right. qualification is much different and it feels much different from a customer if the questions are more geared towards like, how you can help me. And then, you know, am I going to talk to somebody who's an expertise in that field? Feels a lot better than like, are you the right person? Do you have the budget? Do you have the timeline you need, right? Yeah. That's not a good experience. So I think, and that the only time that should happen is if, you know, sorry, right now all our AEs are busy handling other clients. So you're going to speak to a junior rep that will help expedite your interaction when the time comes when it's free. Mm-hmm. And it's like there for value being like, you know, since someone's waiting, since there's a 30 minute wait to ask the AE, now we'll ask you five questions. I'll make sure that your experience with that AE will be shorter. You know, like that's something that's rolling around in my head. We focus now on helping our, future customers of our clients with their digital transformation because we sell a lot of SaaS products. And it was a big transformation mindset, you know, going from we help, you know, B2B companies generate uh, qualified meetings and pipeline. Because just saying that is really just jumping into the, jumping into the whole acceleration um, what we got going on where it's like, you hope we can do things faster. And, and, and right. it's so far away from quality and it breaks everything because right. if you get the wrong appointment with the wrong person, you're gonna have a bad onboarding experience. You're gonna have a you're gonna have a negative review. You're gonna have mm-hmm. no time. And so it's like ironic how how we're we're taught. And then I look at your organization, and and I and I think what you're really doing is you're actually helping the future customers of your clients. You're not actually helping your clients. You're helping the future customers have a better experience because mm-hmm. you just said it. Fifty six percent say it's the the sales experience. Mm-hmm. That data right there is real and it's measurable. And if you can get it down to 30%, you yep. made an impact. Your education is very much educating the future leaders, mm-hmm. right? I told you, so this is uh, you know, a couple of things, but I did a training a little while ago and you know, I was in front of 200 kids and whatever and, and got to the Q&A section and I'm standing in front of Morgan and I actually did this together, this keynote together. 
And uh, this one kid raised his hand. He goes, John, you know, because I put my logo slide out there. And he was like, look, you train a lot of our competitors, man. He goes, how, if you're training all of us, all of me, us and our competitors on the same content, like, how do we differentiate? And my answer to him was 10, 60, 30. And I said to him, I go, look, 10% of you, because he was like, what do you mean? I go, 10% of you in this room are going to take what I tell you to do, execute it at the, at the highest level, and you're going to excel. 60% of you in this room are going to do something different because it's easy and it makes sense. 30% of you ain't going to do shit different. So the question isn't how many people can I train? The question is, is what percentage do you want to be in? And I, unfortunately, I believe that the majority of this world, 10, 80, 80% ish, uh, and I'll be generous with that, are sheep. They just want to be told what to do. They want to do their thing. And, and again, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you really want to excel, there's no silver bullet for shit. There's no perfect thing. You know what I mean? Like you got to work your ass off and figure it out. And so for the people that care, to your point, those are the people that I'm trying to connect with. I could give a shit about like when I do a training, I tell people straight up when I do a training, you know, now that we're doing them on Zoom, I tell them, look, if your camera is on right now, uh, if your camera is not on right now, then I am not training you, period. No. You, like, I hope you're paying attention and feel free to ask a question, but I could give a shit about anybody who's not on screen with me right now. And it was the same thing when I trained in person. If you were in the back of the room on your laptop, checking your emails, doing that thing, I could give a shit. At first, I really care. At first, I was like, oh my God, like, no, 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 you have to learn this because it's really transformative and all this other stuff. And now I'm like, look, if you don't care, why should I? Yeah, I don't care about the people that do. Questions. Yeah. So, you know, the, at the end of the day, you gotta, you know, you gotta get, I call it the give a shit factor all the time. You have to give a shit. And if you don't give a shit, then get out of my way. John, I'm happy that we did not talk about prospecting or any of the uh, things that we talk about all the time. And we just had a friend chat. I appreciate um, you being on the show. And, and if anybody wants to reach you, where can they find you? And, and, and Yep. John at jbarrows.com. Hit me up or John M as in Michael Barrows is my handle on Instagram and then all over LinkedIn. So those are the places you can hit me up. I appreciate it. Don, let's keep, uh, let's keep the transformation, transformation alive, man. And I, I, I appreciate the chat, man. Have a good day. Likewise. Thanks, man. Cheers.